Hi, welcome to Northview Community Church's online church service. Uh, this is our second week doing this. We're really excited about it. We want to say a warm welcome to everybody who's joining us. My name is Jeff Buck. I'm the lead pastor of Northview. We are a church in Abbotsford, British Columbia that meets in three different campuses around our community, one in Mission, BC, one in East Abbotsford, and of course our Downs Road campus where we are right now. I want to say a special welcome, though, to some of you who are watching from all over the place. I know Real Life Community Church is joining us from, from the folks in Surrey there, and it's great to have you guys along as well. Um, if during this this broadcast, you are able to post online in social media with uh, hashtag NorthviewTV. Uh, it would be great because then we could repost some of that stuff on our website and on our social media links so that people can be encouraged to, that they, they're not alone in, in taking part in all of this. Um, we've done the music a little differently this week. We hope you enjoy it. It's a little more creative, and uh, a lot of it's because we've been freed up because there's not a lot of people who can join us at the same time. So, enjoy this. It's probably time for us to get started. Oh 
could rescue us from our fear. Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites us to call him Father? We want to take a few minutes to tell you how you can connect with us and how we can connect with you during this COVID-19 crisis that we're currently in. Um, our website is the best place for you to go to find out all things regarding Northview. So it's northview.org, and on the website you can find a, a link to a, to a newsletter. You can sign up to receive that. It gives you all sorts of information about what's going on every week with Northview, how you can get resources from us during the week. We'll have a daily blog, we hope, in the next coming days. I, I do a daily update, a live video on Instagram, and some other materials that we're trying to put out to help disciple you and help you to know Jesus a little better during this particular time. We also have links to how you can get on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those sorts of things. Um, we really are encouraging people to stay connected. I even know of some community groups that have met together, not physically, but online using uh, Skype or Google Meet or Zoom calls. In fact, this next week, we have uh, a number of women with our Precept Bible study group who are going to get together. There's like 200 of them are going to try to do a Zoom uh, Bible study. So if you're interested in that, you can go to our website, look at northview.org slash women, and you can find out all about that. Um, some of you might need prayer. We are still here and very happy to pray together with you. So northview.org slash prayer, and uh, you can send an email or you can connect with us and let us know how it is that we can be praying for you. Um, this is a challenging time, of course, for all of us when it comes to finance. I mean, the stock markets around the world are 
uh, in quite a roller coaster these days, uh, probably a more downhill roller coaster than anything going up. But um, we as a church are still reliant on the generosity of our people to continue to give. So we know that you probably have lots of different reasons why it is that uh, you might not be able to continue your giving at the level you were before. We totally understand that. But we do want to remind you, of course, that part of our worship is to give back to the Lord. And it is a really great opportunity for us to demonstrate to people our love for Jesus in giving to his local church. So um, we just want to commend that to you and ask you to keep considering how you can be involved with Northview in that way. Our ministry still continues, in fact, even though uh, we're not meeting together. We've got lots and lots of people trying to do lots and lots of cool stuff in, in the meantime, trying to care for people. We especially have a care fund that is really important during this particular time. You can give to the care fund online as well, or you can text to give. You can see the text number at the bottom of the screen here. Uh, there's also giving online and all those, sorts of, all those sorts of ways. Again, our website's a great place for you to go. Listen, I want to spend a little bit of time praying together with you uh, for all the needs in the community. I especially want to pray for those people on the front lines these days uh, with the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, I want to pray for doctors and nurses and all those folks. Also for some missionaries around the world who are hunkering down, down and trying to do some ministry where they are. And we're going to ask Lord's blessing on our local churches and our government and the community as well. So will you pray together with me? Our Father, we're thankful for your grace and the way that you've blessed us in these days, even though it's, it's difficult, Lord. Uh, we can look around and we can recognize all the things that we're thankful for. We're thankful for our families. We're thankful for even the sunshine when it peeks through in our, in our area. It's been, a, it's been a kindness that you've, you've granted us these days. We do want to pray, Lord, for your hand of blessing, especially on those doctors and nurses and first responders to all the people, uh, all those people involved in, in, in serving us and being on the front lines dealing with, with this crisis. Lord, would you, would you grant them health and safety? Would you grant them an ability to do their job faithfully? We also, Lord, ask you for the other churches in our community that they would find opportunities to proclaim your word, whether it's online or in lots of other ways, we ask your blessing on them as well. And the missionaries around the world that we support and who are in difficult circumstances, Father, whether it be financially or physically or whatever, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would take care of them wherever they, they are in need. Lord, we ultimately pray for you to deliver us from this virus. We pray that it would have an effect in our community of raising an interest in uh, you and in how fragile our lives are. And I pray, Father, that many hearts would be turned to you as a result of all of it. So we thank you for this time. We ask you to bless us uh, as we join together, even digitally as we are now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so uh, we are continuing with our Elisha series. Uh, it's called Things Get Weird. When we gave it that title, we didn't know how weird it was going to get, but pretty weird. So uh, this week, we've got Jesse Schellenberg. He's our, he's our new campus pastor up at their mission campus, and we were really excited to have you here. He's a great communicator. He wants to share a message about Naaman, which is quite a famous story in 2 Kings. So we hope you're ready. You might want to get your Bible out and be ready to go in 2 Kings. So we'll turn it over to Jesse now. Thanks. Hey, Northy, it's good to be with you uh, again. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, we're going to jump right uh, into the text here. We're going to continue our series uh, on the life of Elijah. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up, uh, open it up to 2 Kings. Before we uh, dive in there, though, let me tell you a story. A few years ago, uh, my son came uh, running up the stairs and he was kind of all proud of himself and he had some scissors in his hand. And he looked at uh, me and my wife and he said, uh, hey, mom and dad, 
I just cut Ren's hair. Ren's our, our daughter's name. Uh, and the next thing he said was, it kind of looks like Gramps, kind of not really. Now this was concerning for us for two reasons. Number one, he was four years old at the time and he had cut our two-year-old's hair, so, so that was concerning. The other thing that was concerning was um, the fact that it looked like Gramps. Gramps is bald, like very bald. There, there's no hair on Gramps' head at all. And so uh, my wife immediately kind of shocked, uh, maybe screamed, I don't remember what she did, but little Rennie came running up the stairs behind uh, Maverick and she turned around and he had literally cut her hair to the scalp in the back. Uh, it was unfortunate, it, it looked terrible to be frank. Um, and so my wife goes down and she, she uh, hugs Ren and is sobbing as she's pulling like big chunks of her hair uh, off the back of her head. And uh, I kind of go and console my wife because she's kind of not too pleased about this and little Mav runs off to his room recognizing that he's uh, made a bit of a mistake. He came running back a few moments later in his hand uh, was his piggy bank and, and streaming down his face were tears. He, he was sad, he, he recognized what, what he had done and he wanted to fix it. And so he said, Dad, I, here's my piggy bank. Can I, can I please pay for a new haircut for Rennie? Uh, like, like, can we fix it some way, somehow? That was a, a cool moment as, as a dad. I love that my, my son was, was willing to, to help and try to fix this thing. But really what he was trying to do was get back into mom and dad's graces by paying or earning or, or doing something. You see, he recognized in that moment when mom and dad were upset and the, the tone of voice that we used and all that kind of stuff, that something wasn't right, that the mom and dad were upset. And so he wanted to be back in our graces. He, want, he wanted to be back in our good books and he tried to do that through buying a new haircut, through fixing it. See, I realized something about my four-year-old son at that moment is that we have a condition to, to think and understand that, that grace works in a specific way. The story we're gonna read in scripture today, in 2 Kings, teaches us about God's grace and the way that it works. That we're continuing our series, as I mentioned earlier, and the story that we're reading reveals the way God's grace works. We're, we're gonna study this passage, it's a story, so we're gonna read through it in its entirety. I'll add some commentary bits in between, and then we're gonna learn two things about God's grace, and it's this, that God opposes the proud, is the first one, and the second is that he gives grace to the humble. After we go through that, we'll, we'll apply it to our lives, but let's jump into the text. Second Kings chapter five, verse one says this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So what's going on in this first verse is that the author's highlighting that this Naaman guy is legit. Like, like he's successful, he's well sought of by his master, he's highly regarded, he's a valiant soldier, but he has leprosy. It's kind of like when I met my first, my wife the first time and I went back to my parents and I was like, hey, dad, mom, I met this girl, like she's cute, she's funny, she never tells me what to do, like she is the one, but she's from Alberta. Deal breaker, right? In all seriousness though, that is what is happening in this text. Like it is highlighting the fact that this great and successful man is now tainted by this thing called leprosy. And leprosy in those days, this was like a death sentence. And Naaman knew the consequences. He had seen people who, who had 
maybe come back and realize that they had a rash on their arm or something. And, and what it led to was shriveling of their limbs and limbs falling off and, and horrific uh, infections and sores. And, and eventually they'd be kicked out of communities. In the Old Testament, it even uh, talks about how, how they're supposed to treat people of, with leprosy. And it's to the point where they're removed from the community. They have to wear torn clothes and, and uh, their, their hair has to be disheveled. And when people walk by, they have to yell, unclean, unclean. This is what it meant to have this happen to him. So, so as he maybe took off his coat one day after a long day's work, he realized that he had the mark of this infection. Let's keep reading. Verse two, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. We find out a little bit more about this guy named Naaman in these next few verses. He, he has a wife, and he also has a servant, several actually, but the particular servant that's highlighted in this text is a young Hebrew slave. And it also says how he came into possession of this young Hebrew slave, and it was that that he kidnapped her. So a little while ago, Naaman and the Syrian army had gone in um, to, to Israel, and, and he was the commander of it, and so it saw them find this girl and, and take her back. In best case scenario, maybe they took her whole family back, and they all served in, in different parts in, in Syria, but realistically, Likely, it meant that she saw her family killed, her possessions be taken, her house ransacked, and she was drugged all the way back to serve for this man named Naaman. Now get this though, here's what she does. She has grace on this man named Naaman. She says, if only Naaman, if only my master knew the God that I know back in Israel and the prophet whom he had given power, he would be cured of this disease. And so he suggests that to Naaman's wife, and Naaman's wife relays that to him, and he goes to the king and says, hey king, I got this idea, and I've got leprosy, and I'm, I'm desperate, like, I, I gotta fix this somehow, some way, and the king says, sure, go take all this stuff, and I'll write you a letter, and, and go. Let's keep reading. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. People were so dramatic back then. And he said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman and his crew show up with all of their lavish gifts. They, they come to the king of Israel, and the king says, what are you doing here? Who am I? I can't fix leprosy. Why did you come to me? And he tears his robes, the text says, and people tore their robes back then as a sign of distress. So, so why is he in distress? Well, you know when like, you're in uh, maybe a, a bit of a tiff with your spouse and the yelling and the screaming and like the slamming of the doors parts is over? I don't know how you guys fight in, in your households, but that's how the Schellenbergs do it. And so that part's over, and you're not in that like active warfare mode anymore, but you're still kind of 
not at peace. There, there hasn't been reconciliation yet. You're still kind of like walking on, on eggshells and there's that tension in your home and you can cut it with a knife. And if that's the case in your home right now, and if you're sitting beside your spouse, this is awkward and I'm sorry, just turn to each other and, and apologize and ask for forgiveness and it'll go away. But, but this is the state that Syria and Israel were in. There is this heightened tension. They're not actively warring, but they're also not on good terms. And so uh, the king of Israel interprets this act from the king of Aram and from Naaman as an act of war. That's why he says, see, he's trying to quarrel with me. Can we appreciate for one sec that the king of Israel, the irony of this, the king of Israel interprets the heartfelt desire of a young Hebrew slave girl as an act of war. The, the, the high and the mighty and the best and the brightest in this story are, are viewed as the bumbling jesters of the, of the Shakespeare play. All they do really in this text is add comic relief. It, it's the servants and the humbled people who get it, who understand what God is up to. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and, and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's pride is on full display here. He leaves in a huff because the prophet sends a servant. Like, Naaman is essentially saying, do you know who I am? Look at all my stuff. You, you can't even give me a face-to-face -face interaction with this prophet. His pride refuses to humble himself and to accept the advice, the encouragement, the call to go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times. You see, what, 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 what Naaman leaves is still a leper. He's angry, he's mad, it's his pride that refuses for him to receive healing, to receive the cleansing that he so desperately needs. Here's another time where a servant comes to the rescue. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you, would you not have done it? Like, like how much more then when he tells you, just, just wash and be cleansed, it's not that complicated. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. I'm sure Naaman walked into the nasty Jordan River and it is kind of nasty and he got about waist deep and as he's doing that, he's like, this is so stupid. Like how embarrassing is this, right? And he says, okay, fine. He one, two, three, four, dips himself seven times and he comes out and maybe he looks at his hand and realizes that it's clean in his arm and in his body and his, his whole body. It's not that just the leprosy is gone. His whole body is restored to that of a young boy. Naaman's been cleansed. Cleansed Naaman brings that whole caravan back to Elisha's house and he stands there and he says, surely there's no God. This is the only God, the one true God. Now, now, please take this gift from me. And Elisha says, no, I, I don't need your stuff. You've been cleansed. This is a gracious act of God. 
That's how the story ends. Naaman, this successful, important man, in desperate need of the grace of God. And this story reveals the way our God works. His modest operandi, his MO, if you will, his established way of acting in history is this. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Three times in scripture and, and various other through stories like this one, we see that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Naaman's reputation, his wealth, his power, the company that he kept did not qualify him or earn him the right to receive the healing that he needed. It was only when he humbled himself, when he took the advice of, of the peasants and the captives and the servants of God that he received what he so desperately needed. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let's press into that a little bit. Let's look at the first one. What, what about pride is God so opposed to? I watched a, a movie recently. It's called Steve Jobs, and it chronicles the life of, of Steve Jobs early in his, in his uh, career with, with Apple. And one of the, the running bits throughout the whole thing is the, the way Steve's pride does not allow him to, to give credit or share credit with any other thing uh, in, in, in the company. So there's this character named Woz and, and Steve Jobs and they're, they're co-founders of Apple and they're, they're kind of friends. And throughout the thing, Woz is, is urging Steve as he stands up to do his product launches of the new I this or I that or whatever it is. And he says, Steve, this time when you do your product launch, can you just give the team, the, the Apple II team, the, the team who created that product just a little bit of credit? And every time Steve stands there and says, no, no, I can't. Because if I give a little bit of credit to this Apple II product, th then that means I I'm taking, by, by definition, away from this product that I'm, that I'm trying to launch. I can't do it. And Waz continues to urge him and urge him, and he, and he reminds him that, like, Steve, you do realize that the, the whole reason you, you have the ability to be creative and, and think these things and do all these product launches, even though most of them are failing, is because the Apple II is the only product making this company money. Like it's bringing in revenue while you keep spending it on all your research and development and all these other kinds of things. And so this comes to a climax at the end of the movie and, and Steve Jobs is up there and he's getting set for this big product launch and Waz is sitting in the audience and he, he asks his, his friend one more time. He says, Steve, can you please, can you please just give, just give the, 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 the leaders, the, the creators, the, the, the head team of the Apple dude, just a, just a little bit of credit. And as the audience, you're watching this and you're like, man, Steve, like just humble yourself a little bit. Just, just give them the credit that they deserve. And Steve looks at his friend and he says, no, no, I will not give them any credit. I will not share this stage with anything else. See, that's what pride does. Pride refuses to share the stage with, with anything else. Steve, Steve Jobs could not give credit to, to the Apple II or the creators of Apple II because it would diminish, it would take away from what he was trying to accomplish. This is illustrated really well in, in Isaiah chapter two. It says this, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For, for, all, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low. And human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. See, this is the problem. We serve a God who alone 
is worthy of all the praise and all the honor, and pride denies that fact. Pride causes us to think that although we might need some assistance, a little bit of help here or there, for the most part, we kind of got this. And yet this flies in the face of what scripture teaches us about our condition. We are dead. Roman teaches that we are a dead people and we're so desperate for life, we're dead. And dead people, common sense teaches us this, don't contribute much to bringing themselves back to life. We're dead and we need life. We offer nothing so that no one can boast. And in this text, you'll note that even his accomplishments, Naaman, so he was this valiant soldier, it says that God granted him those victories. So we can't even boast about those things. His successes come from God. And yet pride denies this. And it's very dangerous because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Luke 18, verse 9 to 14 highlights this well. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, prideful people, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that, that I'm not like other people. Like I'm not like those robbers or the evildoers or the adulterers or, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I got. I'm pretty good. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he just beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, that the tax collector, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The humble receive grace because they're not only aware of their need, but they're also aware that God alone is their source of help. I was working at a, a summer camp this past year, and uh, there was this uh, one particular camper who had a lot of questions and was uh, struggling a little bit, and so her, her counselor asked if, if I would spend some time just chatting with. So uh, for about three days in a row, me, her counselor, and this camper went on some walks, and I just tried to answer as many of the questions that she had, and a lot of the questions had to do with, yeah, but what about this and, and that? And I used to do these kinds of things, and I, I like to do this, and I'm struggling with this kind of identity piece. And I tried to answer all of those questions to, to the best of my ability. And it came, it was Thursday night, and it was the worship night. And I was just kind of standing at the back, watching all of the campers uh, worship. And, and this girl that I'd had some of these conversations with stood up and walked out, out of the, the, the chapel. And I could see that tears were, were streaming down her face. She left the chapel, I didn't know where she went, I didn't know if I should go after her, I was kind of looking to see if her counselor was gonna go and another song went by and, and no one did and so I just popped my head out the door of the chapel and I saw her sitting on a, a picnic bench and she was just crying. So I went and I, I sat down beside her and I, I didn't know what to say in that moment, right? She's, she's crying and we're listening to kind of the worship music in the background and I, I didn't say anything. Like, how are you doing? Didn't seem right at the moment. And so I just kind of sat there and a few more songs went by. And finally she broke into the silence and she said, I just don't understand. Why does God love me so much? I, I, don't, I don't get it. it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why does he love me so much? Someone like me. And as she said that, I still had nothing to say because she, she was right. She got it. A unmerited favor, the grace that God offers us is unmerited favor. It doesn't make sense, and yet it comes 
to the humble. You see, you see when Naaman comes out of the water after the seventh time and he's cleansed like that of a young child, his response is, now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. His cleansing leads him to profess that, that this God is, is all sufficient, that there's no God in all the word, world like him. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So what does this mean for us today? In God's providence, he has given us this text. This, this, this sermon series, Elisha, was picked long before COVID-19 or coronavirus was even in our vocabularies. And this text is about a man who's, who's sick, who's facing a life-threatening illness, who's going to die, and he's desperate. He, he needs healing. He comes before the sovereign God of the universe, desperate for healing. This leper, this, this leper is desperate because he has a condition that will destroy him if untreated. He needs a healer. Leprosy in the Bible is interesting because leprous people uh, throughout Scripture are used as an illustration of the condition of all of us. You see, leprous people were, were people who were unclean. They, they were unrighteous. They were unworthy of being with, with God and his people. And the disease that, that has given us this, this death sentence and made us unrighteous and unworthy is, is not leprosy, it's, it's sin. We need a healer, we need a savior. We're, we're all lepers in that sense. And, and yet, even though we're all intimately aware of this, we know we need a healer, we know we're desperate, we know we need a savior. And yet in our pride, we think that we can heal ourselves. We really do, we are such a prideful people. We try so hard, we, we're so proud of, of all of our advancements and our accomplishments, so proud of, of how much we have and what we've accumulated or created. We, we run like Maverick with our money jars, thinking that we can earn back the favor of God. And yet here we sit, self-quarantined in a cultural moment where so many of the things that, that fueled our pride are being taken away from us. Our control, our freedoms, our finances, our plans, our hopes and our dreams, so fellow lepers, know that Jesus responds to humbled, desperate people like this. In Matthew chapter eight, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Our God is willing and able to cleanse us through his son, Jesus Christ. He, he accomplished our healing as he took upon our leprosy, our sin condition upon himself so that we could be purified, cleansed, restored to innocence without blemish and brought back into the community and, and into relationship with God so that rather than sitting as outcasts like they had to in the Old Testament, yelling out unclean, our anthem can be holy, righteous, and redeemed. If you've never received the grace of God, why not? Now is a good time. God, God loves you enough to humble you. He, he does it in, in a myriad of ways. If, if God, by the power of his spirit, is humbling you right now, then receive his grace. Look to him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you have received God's grace, then don't buy into the lie that we often slip into and think that we're kept in God's grace by our works. Saved by grace and kept by works is no gospel at all. We're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and we'll be glorified by his grace. So let's be a people who remain grateful for the grace 
in awe of a God who would look upon people like us with favor. It's a story in, in the book of Luke and Jesus heals these 10 lepers and they go away and they're cleansed. And then it says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. May we never grow tired of throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus, humbled, thanking him for his grace. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are God and we are not. You are holy and you are righteous and you are above us and you are sovereign, sovereign and we are our creatures. We are, we are created. So Father, I ask that you would humble us. I ask that you would humble us more and more each day. Father, that we would grow more and more appreciative and more aware of our need for your grace each and every day. Father, I pray for those who are listening who have never received your grace. Or maybe those who have perhaps forgotten that they even have a need of it. Father, I ask that you would humble them through your spirit. And help them to cry out with their hearts, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, for those who, who have known you for a long time, who have, who have walked in your grace, I ask that you would keep them humble. Father, forgive us for the pride that so quickly creeps up in our lives and manifests itself in, in so many ways. We need your grace. Father, thank you that you make this grace available to us through Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is heart. I know that a while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I See, 
The Sovereign Lord comes with power, and He rules with a mighty arm. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory one in himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by his blood my life is hid on high with Christ my Savior and my God with Christ my Savior and my God So I wrote this song in my songwriting class a couple months ago. It's called We Lift the Name. And a couple of things I wanted to accomplish in writing it was to give us a chance to sing about um, our redemption through the work of Jesus and the cross. To give us a chance to respond, to, to lift the name of Christ who deserves our every praise. And to give us a hope and uh, point us forward to um, when we'll be singing and joining in glory song um, in the throne room together one day.
Jesus, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify. Name of all names, and nothing can stand against. And yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy and almighty. Thanks so much for joining us. If you have anything else you need to know about Northview, you can go to our website at northview.org. We've got all sorts of links there to keep you connected with all the stuff we're going to be doing this week. And we're really looking forward to having you come back next week, right? So stay safe and God bless.